0: Everybody welcome to another podcast episode. This is The John Riley Project. I am your host, John Riley. Welcome and thanks for joining us. This is episode number 258 and we've got a lot in store for you today. We're going to spend some time reviewing the Uh, proposal from Sandag, this reinvention of our transportation system, where they're already working now on a $160 billion plan that includes a per mile tax on car drivers. And we're going to get into all the public transit and the tax system and and what we think is fair or fair share, and we'll break it all down. Um, Then we're going to, do, a, what I want to do is do a review of the um, the Netflix series Squid Game. I went and l- watched that last week and, you know, it's all the buzz on, on on the internet, on Netflix, the highest rated show in Netflix history. So there's a lot of commentary that I want to share about Squid Game. And then I'd like to also get into some uh, local updates here in Poway. Uh, there's been a lot going on with the recall of our mayor, Poway, uh, Poway Mayor Steve Voss, and the water rates. And, and there's, it's been a some interesting topics going on here locally. Uh, So lots of topics on the table, as Hacksaw would say, and uh, we'll break it all down. We'll have some fun here. But I welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. If you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, feel free to type in some comments, questions. I'll read them on the air. We'll have a bit of a conversation, a discussion, and we'll take it from there. So again, thanks for joining me. And it's hump day. It's can't believe it. It's November already. I mean, the, the year is just flying by. It's just going to be a few more weeks. It's going to be Thanksgiving. Um, but let's let's dive into this whole topic of Sandag. You know, Sandag stands for the San Diego Association of Governments, and this is where all the local governments get together. You know, the city of Poway, the city of Encinitas the city of Chula Vista, the city of San Diego, the county of San Diego, they all get together. They have this group called SANDAG, and one of their primary responsibilities is to coordinate a lot of the um, transportation infrastructure, transportation systems throughout the county. And, you know, they've been grappling with this, this almost utopian um, public transit idea. It's been discussed now for a few years. You know, they have a new... Um, I guess, would you say he's a, the new president of Sandag? I can't remember. I remember Steve Voss, our mayor here in Poway, was on the Sandag board um, as the Poway representative. And I think he was the chairman of the board, if I recall. Um, I think he served his term there. But there's another gentleman who I think used to work for a similar agency up in L.A., is now down here in San Diego. And this dude has a big vision. Um, we're talking about uh, high-speed rail, mass transit, huge um, transit hubs, uh, reimagining our freeways, reimagining rail, um, really a comprehensive, very forward-looking plan, but a plan with, a in, in this particular case, a $160 billion plan. And I don't even know if this is the full plan. This might only be a portion of it. But what they did is they floated the idea amongst San Diego voters in the form of a poll. And they said, you know, this is $160 billion for highway, for a transit overhaul. And they just got barely over 50% approval in the poll. So the question then is, is, is there a way they can bring this to the ballot to get voters to approve it? Because, you know, the, the Sandag, you know, the, the executive leader, I mean, he wants to get this thing going, but it's going to require a lot of money. So again, we're on the live stream. I welcome your thoughts and comments on Facebook and YouTube. Feel free to type them in and I will respond to you on the air. Um, so anyways, they're talking $160 billion to pay for high-speed transit for dozens of new stations, a central mobility hub that might be down in the Midway District, kind of near where that big sports arena redevelopment project's going to be happening, um, express lanes for buses, carpool lanes, and more toll uh, lanes on the highways. So this is a big plan. Um, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? future vision of transit. You know, they've been trying to do some of these things here locally in San Diego. And, you know, I live in Poway and I a lot of times when I come home, I'll take the 15 freeway, I'll go north. I like to take the Ted Williams exit a lot, mostly because I drive an electric vehicle. So the Ted Williams exit is uh, gives me instant access to the HOV lane, which I can drive him by myself in my EV. So I use that exit a lot. And my wife and I, gosh, we're, we were out actually visiting with our friend Pete and Mike, and we were at a, at a fun, like a bunco night down in La Mesa on, when was that, Saturday night, and uh, had a great time. It's another opportunity. I built friendships with a lot of our podcast listeners and guests, which is so wonderful. We were driving back. We took the Ted Williams exit off the HOV lane. And you know, right there, there's this huge parking structure, and it's always empty And what the attempt is, is that structure is intended to be that people in North County would drive their cars there, park their car, and then they would get in one of those red MTS buses that would take them southbound into downtown. Um, It's been this sort of futuristic vision of to get more cars off the freeway, but nobody uses it. I mean, or very few use it. Have you ever seen that parking structure? There at Ted Williams and the 15, it's usually dead empty. And at night, all the lights are lit up, and you can see inside, and there's basically nobody in there. And it just makes me wonder that you know this these future visions, this forward thinking. You know, it sounds nice, but are San Diegans really ready to embrace this? Are they really ready to embrace this mass transit future, Um, or? are we too married to the car, you know, the freedom of driving, which is a really big part of Southern California culture. Um, so it's also, there was some interesting speculation here in my hometown of Poway, um, some conversation on one of our local Facebook groups. And there's a lot of people, you know, particularly that live near the Poway Road corridor. They're actually- want more public transit in Poway. And I'll tell you what, the public transportation in Poway stinks. It's horrible. Um, The MTS buses come through here, but very, very little. Uh, They only are on like a couple of roads, maybe like Poway Road or Pomerado, Espola. I know MTS goes up into the Poway Business Park, but generally speaking, it's very lightly used here, mostly because there's very little access to it, very few uh, routes that go through Poway. But there's a lot of people that want to see more public transportation in Poway, particularly because there's a lot more development going on in Poway, particularly on Poway Road, um, where now more people are going to be moving in. in. There's a lot of people that are fearing there's going to be more traffic, more congestion, um, especially throughout the Poway Road corridor. (laughs) And then we were speculating, like, what would would it be like if there was actually a, a light rail trolley that came through Poway? And I know for some people, that sounds wonderful. You know, I know the light rail tra- tra- uh, trolley goes out to, to Santee. Um, it goes out to other areas in East County and South County. But, you know, it never makes it up here to North County Inland. But we were saying, can you imagine what if it wasn't just the red you know, trolley that came up Poway Road. But you imagine if they built like a like a monorail, you know, right down the center. I mean, the people in Poway that are already freaking out about the development that's going on in this city would be a double freak out if they did something like that. I mean, Poway, we're already coming to grips with our our identity as, as the city and the country that has been blown up. Now, I contend that idea was blown up 30 years ago, but a lot of people feel it's being blown up now. But we'd have to change our motto to Poway, the city of the, of the future, you know, with a monorail system like Disneyland or like the one that goes through Las Vegas. Um, but, uh, you know, public transportation is just a really interesting topic because, you know, in a, in a city that has a vast public infrastructure, uh, public transportation infrastructure like New York City, like Tokyo, um, you can get from point A to point B pretty easily. Um, Because there's so much subway, so much underground tunneling that has been done. um, It's been built into the infrastructure from a half a century previous or even further back, 50 or more years back, that infrastructure was built. Well, here in San Diego, we've got like nothing like that. And, And so it would just be... Massively expensive, especially in today's world, um, massively disruptive. And we really wouldn't see the fruits of this vision for a very long time. And so it it then invites the question then, even if they built it, would they come? You know, like using a Field of Dreams reference, because right now there's already light rail in San Diego. But if you ever driven like your car and you see one of those red trolley cars go by, It is very, very rare for you to see any cars that are full. I mean, when I look, usually those cars are 20% or less full. And the only exception is if people are going to a ball game at Petco or going to a basketball game at Viejas Arena at San Diego State University. Other than those kinds of events, that trolley is rarely ever used. Um, I know they've done surveys of trolley users, and about half of them used to be bus users. Um, So there's there's some people that have this utopian vision of what public transportation should be, but it doesn't always match up with the reality and with the behavior of people. Because right now, again, you can't get from point A to point B. And even if you were able to go, let's say, from downtown San Diego to, I don't know, somewhere in Mission Valley, you still have to get you know from t- to santee and you still have to get from the mission valley stop to wherever you happen to be going if where well, I don't know where it would be north park or you know uh pacific beach i mean it's difficult to get from point a to point b you have to do a lot of ubering or taxiing or walking or skateboarding to supplement what you're doing on public transit um but now, you know, this is a $160 billion plan. So, how in the hell are they going to pay for this? I mean, it's a lot of money. And so, um, what they're talking about now is this, this per mile tax, you know, which we've been hearing about, where, you know, right now, of course, we have the gasoline tax that primarily or conceptually funds the roads. But really, the gas tax only funds a very small subset of, of the roads because. A lot of our roads here locally in our cities are funded by property taxes and sales taxes that go into the general fund in these cities that helps us repave and maintain roads. And then in a lot of other cases, you know, state income taxes are used to fund roads. So what we pay at the pump for gasoline tax, even though it is $1.20 per gallon, fully loaded, when you add in all the taxes, federal and state, it's $1.20 a gallon. But that doesn't... Pay for all the roads. I mean, there's there's just no way. Um, but now they're talking about implementing this per mile tax because the the gas tax, you know, has so called been dwindling. Now remember, they reduced the gas tax and then they raised it back up again. That was the whole Carl DeMaio plan from a few years ago. He was fighting the gas tax increase. Well. Because cars are more efficient, they're using less fuel and therefore less money is go- being generated by the gas tax. And then on top of it, you know, there's other drivers like me that drive electric vehicles that don't pay a gas tax at all. Now, I will say this we do pay extra. When you, we drive an electric vehicle, um, we pay, like you have your regular auto registration per year, we pay an additional amount on top of what other people pay for auto registration that can be anywhere between like $100 and $175 a year for the EV. Um, And it just kind of depends on the value of your electric vehicle. And then on top of it, we pay like an extra $100 when we acquire the car. Now, is that the same amount as what people pay in gas taxes? Well, it depends how much you drive. Maybe, maybe not. But still, I think, you know, a lot of people are coming to grips. There's not enough money coming in from gas tax revenue. We got to do something, right? And on top of it, these Sandag people have this vision, this utopian idea of what public transit should be. And so they're looking for money wherever they can get it. And they're coming after all of us for this. And I know a lot of people are really paranoid about this per mile fee. Like, how are they going to generate this money? You know, are they going to put GPS trackers on our cars so they can track where we go, where we drive, and then be able to compute the number of miles we drive to the penny? That's kind of um, Orwellian, 1984, you know, big brother, that's kind of spooky, right? I mean, I know a lot of people are already paranoid about their activities online and being tracked. But you know, it's one thing when you're being tracked by Google or Facebook because they basically use that information to serve you advertisements for products and services that are most likely of interest to you. But when the government's tracking, you, that's a whole other ball game because The government can put you in jail. (laughs) The government can really crack down on you and punish you in a lot of ways, whereas Google and Facebook don't have anywhere near that kind of authority. So when the government's talking about this per mile field, that's a lot of people freaked out. Now, we've been talking about, you know, my good friend Pete, we were talking about other ideas. Like I'm generally conceptually supportive of a per mile tax because, you know, if you use the roads... You should pay for the roads. That makes sense to me. But, you know, they're talking about implementing this per mile tax, but they're not talking about getting rid of the gas tax. They're talking about adding it on, right? Because they never subtract. They're always adding on, adding on. So this is just going to make it even more expensive to live in the state of California. Um, But, uh, you know, we're trying to talk about other ideas, like how could they track this? You know, maybe they check your odometer once a year when you do your auto registration, Or maybe when you do your smog check for people that drive gasoline cars. But I heard another innovative idea. I know Mike Ryan on the live stream. Hey, John, this uh, entire tax deal is crazy. You're right, Mike. It is. Um, Another idea I heard about this is that they could implement the per mile tax when you get new tires, right? Because your tires are only rated for so many thousands of miles, I don't know, 30,000, 50,000 miles, 80,000 miles. Depending on how how uh, what type of tire you choose to get, that might be an interesting way to do it. Um, but again, I'm conceptually okay with a per mile tax, provided that you know the gas tax is eliminated, and provided that all that money just goes to fund the roads. <laughs> Ed Franklin says, "Don't give them any ideas." And Yuri says, "It's not Europe. There is no TVG rail system. What's TVG? Uh, I'm not sure what that is, Yuri." Um, So the plan they're talking about is that San Diego, Diego, they want to implement two cents a mile. And then on top of it, the state is talking about 2.3 cents a mile. Um, So I did the math. If you drive 15,000 miles per year, which is what I drive, which I think is a little more than most, 15,000 miles per year, that's an extra $645 a year. And this only really pays for about 20% of Sandag's um, $160 billion price tag. So where are they going to get this, the extra money? Yuri says trans grand fetiche. Is that the the Italian or the Roman um, uh, public transportation system, Yuri? I'm not sure what that is. Um, But then on top of it, they're talking about half-tax sales taxing, a half-cent sales tax increase they want to implement in 2024 and this is already on top of another half cent sales tax increase they did back in 2008 also to upgrade the roads and highways which they later remember they peeled a lot of those initiatives back like up like upgrading you know the the 67 freeway and the 78 freeway oh my god the 78 freeway is a friggin disaster Um, We were driving on that not too long ago, and it's just a cluster. I mean, literally and figuratively. Um, And the 67 definitely needs to be upgraded because it's not really that safe. Um, A lot of people have gotten into tragic auto crashes there. Um, They're also talking about 819 miles of um, uh, lanes converted into toll lanes. And I don't know if you've used that HOV lane on the 15. It works actually really well. I mean, I know a lot of people have the um the device that they put in their windshield and so as they drive, they're automatically charged and they I think they deposit money in a in an account, you know, roughly about once every month. And then as they drive, it's decremented and it helps pay for that extra infrastructure. But I remember when they built that whole thing that that HOV lane down the 15 freeway from Escondido down to San Diego. Um, the original plan was that, you know, for actually the thing I heard of they were going to use it for first, and this was sort of urban legend, was that they were going to be testing technology. So there would be like a magnetic track underneath the asphalt in the center of the 15 freeway and that cars could then be, um, I guess, controlled by this magnetic track. And then people could literally be hands-free as they drove. And I love that idea because then cars could travel in a tightly packed swarm and it'd be a much more efficient drive. And I thought this was going to be a test bed for that. And that's why, again, it was urban legend. It didn't turn out to be that. They had this vision of an HOV lane, high occupancy lane, two or more per car, which is great. Um, They also opened it up to electric vehicle drivers like myself that we could drive on it for free with only one person. You know, With one person, you have to pay. But for an EV driver, we don't. I actually had to pay like 30 bucks for a sticker on my car. And that's good for, I think, like three years. But then they also had that plan for that red MTS bus that was going to go down the 15. And... That bus was going to have that transit hub at Ted Williams Parkway that nobody uses. There is a transit hub up off of, um, you know, in Rancho Bernardo, but on the west side of Rancho Bernardo where all the technology companies are. I don't think anyone really uses that one much, do they? I'm not sure. Um, but it's this vision of, you know, what they want to accomplish. You know, they want to make more of these roads toll roads, I imagine, like that, that road that goes down the 15 freeway. A um, couple more comments on the live stream. Yuri says it's ang- the English fastest train. OK. Um, Ed, Ed says these people are all crooks. These taxes are ridiculous. When does it stop? I know. I agree. It, it, they just keep piling on. And I think, you know, with, um, you know, Governor Newsom surviving the recall, I think in a lot of ways he's encouraged to double down, and so are a lot of like-minded people that kind of share that progressive, collectivist kind of a vision of you know the, the utopia of San Diego and of California, and so they're doubling down on this mass transit initiative. It's just going to cost you know just a shit ton of money. Um, now, let's break down the gas tax for a bit. I mean, because I think this is interesting. You know, depending on how much you drive, this is a lot of money. So you know, again, if, if you add it all up, you know, the state, the local, it's a twenty a gallon is what people pay uh, in California. Because there's all kinds. I mean, there's like six or seven line items when you add them all up uh, to, that, that are covered. You know, some of them you see on the pump, on the sticker, but others you don't see because the, um, you know, the they're they 're paid for by the proprietor of the gas station who then ultimately passes it on to you as the consumer um, you know like for st- tank storage fees and all sorts of other things but if you drive fifteen thousand miles a year like I do and let 's say your car gets twenty five miles a gallon so that means if you 15,000 miles a year, 25 miles a gallon, that's 600 gallons a year. That's $7, $720 a year that people, that person like that would be paying in a gasoline tax. But on top of that, they'd have to pay another, and what did I say? It was uh, um, another $645 a year for the per mile tax, because you know they're not going to take away the gas tax. And the interesting part of this that I think is fascinating is that, If SANDAG were to put this ballot, uh, this proposition on the ballot, then it would require a two-thirds majority in San Diego to pass it. And we know that's never going to happen. It's very rare for two-thirds of any group to agree on anything. Um, And... You know, they've tried school bonds when they were trying to get those passed with two-thirds. They can never pass them. Um, And they ended up lowering, you know, that threshold to, I think, 55% for school bonds to pass uh, just so they could pass them. But it would need a two-thirds approval, which they could never get done. You know, they just, they did the survey, a poll, and they got barely over 50%. So now what they're doing is they have to have it as a citizen-led initiative, that the people are going to put this on the ballot. And if they do that, then they only need a simple majority of 50% plus one. And who's behind it? Well, of course, the environmentalists are behind it. That makes sense. But so are all the labor groups, all the labor unions, because they're the ones that would get all the jobs to do all the construction of the infrastructure, right? Of course. So they're the ones that are behind all this. Um, But then on top of this, this is where it gets pretty crazy, is... They, they're now floating the idea, Sandag, of making it so you can use public transportation for free. And you're like, what the hell? You know, So they already have set it up where if you're under the age of 18, you don't have to pay to use any public transportation in the county, the bus, the trolley, none of it. And the, now what they want to do is they want to have this per mile charge on car drivers to partly pay for the infrastructure to build public transport, that that the users of it would actually pay nothing. So people that don't use public transportation would be paying so the users of public transportation could ride on it for free. And I was thinking, how in the hell does that even correspond with the notion of paying your fair share? It seems like it's the exact opposite. The people that use public transportation don't get charged at all, And the people that don't use public transportation, they're the ones that are paying for it in the in the form of this per mile tax and a lot of these other additional taxes. It's just just, it's shocking. It's just amazing. Um, Shouldn't isn't fair share. Like if you use it, you should pay for it. That's why I'm supportive generally of a per mile tax, because if you drive on the roads, you should pay to drive on the roads in proportion to how much you use them. Uh, But it just seems that it's this whole, it's a lot of this is socialism. It's collectivism. It's this idea that society will pay for it, but it's not society that pays for it. It's a specific group of people that pay for it. And that means other people don't have to pay at all. And that's this whole, you know, concept of, you know, so quote unquote free stuff. A few more comments on the live stream. Um, Ed Franklin Interesting I'm getting depressed Have a great day <laughs> You know Ed Ed does his own podcast uh, You know The the No Limits podcast It's really good And Ed is Very much about Uplifting content And you know I give him credit For keeping it positive And I I generally try to keep A lot of this positive too But there's just A lot of this Needs to be broken down We gotta break it down Because you know My podcast is largely About pursuing Your happiness Right and, you know, again, I guess if, if you live in Poway and you want to get to the beach to pursue your happiness as a surfer, maybe you'd love to get on a trolley and take it to, to you know, Del Mar and go surfing. But not if it's at the expense of other people, then that's blocking them from pursuing their happiness. So I don't know. A um, couple other comments here. Mike Ryan says, Slick Newsome better get this thing. Oh, my phone is buzzing as we're on the live stream. Slick Newsome better get this thing squared away. How much more can Californians deal with? Salaries are not reflecting all this inflation. You're right. We've got all the inflation that was largely caused by these shutdowns and regulations that have come in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic. Um, That's already shooting prices through the roof. Real estate prices, gasoline prices, the whole supply chain is a disaster. Prices for a lot of goods and services are going up at aggressive rates. And now, piling on more of these taxes. It's just getting to the point of insanity. Um, uh, Mike and Ed are having a conversation. um, And Mike says, I will not, he says, I'm not going to agree with a a mileage tax. We already pay taxes on our vehicles, high registration, high gas, um, and gas taxes. Yeah, it's just outrageous. Now, here's my thinking on this whole thing we definitely uh, you know society-wise we have to move forward with a better transportation infrastructure i totally get that i'm on board with that concept you know very broadly but this this fascination this romantic notion of trains is like 19th century you know technology it's it's um it's it's a almost a view of going backwards in time rather than looking forward and embracing the new technology of the 21st century. And besides, with trains, you can never get from point A to point B. It just doesn't work. You only get, you can only make it so far. And then you have to get additional transportation. You have to, like I said, walk or skateboard or take an Uber or a taxi or something. Public transportation would require a massive implementation at untold cost and disruption to implement this, to build all the infrastructure. But the reality is, the future is, is that we're going into um, a future of driverless cars. Andrew Yang talked about in his presidential campaign. We're already seeing that technology working today. My electric vehicle, I, I could take my hands off the steering wheel and it will turn for me. It recognizes the lanes. The, the Teslas are self-driving to a great degree. That technology is going to continuously improve. Imagine if we have more self-driving cars, then we can use the existing infrastructure, the roads and highways that already exist. And like that urban legend that I thought the 15 freeway HOV lane was going to be, they'll be able to have the technology where these cars can can drive in a swarm, tightly packed, computer controlled, so it's safe and efficient and there'd be far less traffic. And then on top of it, as we go into the 21st century, we know this from COVID, a lot less people are working in offices. More people are working remotely thanks to the, the technology of the internet. So there's really less people commuting and and we're going into an era that's going to be embracing new technology. So why in the heck do they keep going back to this idea of trains? I mean, to me, it's nuts. Um, and like, like for example, they they built the, the trolley, the blue line that goes from, I guess, like Old Town, all the way up to UC San Diego. You know, I'm a UCSD alumni, and that sounds great on the surface. But have you seen that track? I mean, they had to build a huge um, kind of... Overpass for that line. Like if you were out there kind of near the Genesee exit and the La Jolla Village Drive exit, you can see a lot of that infrastructure. It costs $2 billion to build that. Now it's going to a university, and you could say, okay, there's a pretty good, you know, you're going to have a decent amount of ridership if it's going to a college. And I I hear you on that. But still, it's just an insane amount of money. And then if they make it free for people to use, then all of that, those riders, the, those students, they would be using it to get to school, wouldn't be paid for it at all. Who would be paying for it? People like us in Poway that are, are disconnected from the whole system. Um, so again, the, the whole thing is just really nuts. Um, but I, I challenge you, when you see a trolley in San Diego, look inside the car and then just do a rough estimate of how, what percent that car is full. You know, any trolley's going to have, I don't know, seven, nine cars it's pulling. I have never, ever, ever seen it more than 20% full. When I've, with the exception of, you know, when it's, there people are going to an event, like a Padre game at Petco, a San Diego State Aztec game at Viejas Arena. Those are the exceptions. I mean, back in the day, remember they had street scene. Was the trolley going from Mission Valley to street scene back then? I think it was. Um, But, you know, it was... Heavily used for those events, but otherwise, like during the day, during rush hour, it's just so lightly used, and yet they keep doubling down on it. And then we already know that, like, you know, like the, again, the 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 topography, the geology of San Diego. I mean, they have the train line that's going up, you know, along the coast, and in Del Mar, the cliffs are crumbling underneath the train track, so now they have to redirect it. So I, again, I question how viable this really is in San Diego, and really, does it match up with our culture and 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 the way we really get around? Um, so, well, I look forward to your thoughts and comments. A bunch of topics are, are discussion here on the live stream. Mike Ryan says, "I agree with that concept as well, John. We do need to upgrade our public transportation. It needs to be available twenty four hours a day and safe for people to use." Yes. Again, we can debate what that transportation infrastructure is and what kind of vehicles are on that. But yeah, we do need to reimagine a future. Again, I just get the sense that Sandag wants to go backwards rather than forward. Um, Mike says, yeah, a lot less people working. Jamie Tobit says, countries like Japan and Switzerland have wonderful train systems and they don't seem very 19th century to me. Well, I've been on the subways and trains in Tokyo and you're right they are very modern but the whole notion of rail is again it, rail was invented in the 19th century so I kind of jokingly call it 19th century technology you know as opposed to driverless EVs, which is legit 21st century technology um, and they the because of the flexibility and the independence of those kinds of vehicles you could literally go from your doorstep to the doorstep of your destination with an EV. A driverless EV, but you can't do that on a train. Now, again, in Tokyo, it is—they have such a critical mass of that infrastructure that was built into Tokyo. I would imagine in the years right after World War II. I mean, it was, and then they've built the whole city around it. Um, I think that vision in San Diego—that's going to be a tough call. I mean, it really is. We're just so spread out um, that it just is going to make it very difficult. Mike Ryan says, usually the trolleys get busy going to Tijuana. And and you're right. OK, that is an exception. That line that goes from downtown San Diego down to uh, the San Ysidro border, that one is relatively highly used. I'll give you that. That's one of the exceptions. Um, but generally speaking, I, I don't know. So I'm curious to see how this all shakes out. Um, I love the big ideas. I love the big thinking. Um, but I sometimes wonder if... A, they're thinking about the right things, and B, do they really have a fair and just way to fund it? Um, We'll see. Uh, I'm just one man in this whole thing. So, okay let's move on. A uh, couple of more things I want to get to. I want to talk about Squid Game. I'm going to break that down. I've got my thoughts and i watched that whole series. I've uh, got some p- updates on Poway, um, Poway News updates on the water and the recall of the mayor. I do want to remind you, and if you're watching on the live stream, um, I've got these shirts, these um, Pursue Happiness shirts. These are long sleeve tees. Tell you what, if you contact me, I'll give you one of these for free. Send me an email to john at johnreillyproject.com. I've got a few extra larges and then a little bit more larges. So tell me if you're XL or L and I'd be happy to send it to you while supplies last. Just email me at john at johnreillyproject.com. Mike says, John, you need to invite more people to these podcasts. So many great topics. Be good to have people interact with each other. You're right. I need to get more guests on this podcast. And, you know, I extended an invitation today to Chris Olps in Poway. He's the gentleman that's pushing the whole Recall Voss initiative. Um, but you're right. I need to have more guests on these. And granted, I kind of get worked up to share my thoughts and opinions. Uh, but yeah, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Squid Game. Have you watched it? Okay, you know, of course, Squid Game is all the rage, all the sensation. Um, and it's apparently the most watched TV uh, show on Netflix, like in the history of Netflix. Um, and Squid Game is this, it's a, a South Korean um, show. You can watch it with American subtitles or dubbed in English, uh, or English subtitles or dubbed in English. And it's about, you know this group of people that live in Seoul that are destitute, desperate, their lives are in trouble, and they um, will do anything for money. And they basically get into this game, a game of death to win a huge amount of money. And this has gotten so much reaction in uh, the press, online, people talking about it. And I just kind of want to get into this and break it down. So, you know, spoilers there's gonna be lots of spoiler alerts here. I'm just gonna warn you up front. I'll be giving away a lot of the plot, some of the characters. So if you've watched it, you'll understand and I really am interested in your thoughts on this. But I watched the first episode and uh because I just wanted to see what this is about. And oh my God, it was a friggin' train wreck. I mean, it was this guy who's kind of a loser, deadbeat dad Gambling addict lived at home with his mom um, and uh, stealing his mom's money so he can go gamble it away. Meanwhile, he was divorced. His wife had you know remarried. His ten do- year old daughter living with the the mom and the stepfather, and he had been outcast from that part of the family. And so this guy was just kind of i mean he was had a warm heart but he was generally a pathetic guy he gets solicited to be on in this game he was approached by a person who was really part of an overall network of, of people that followed a lot of these destitute people and they gave him a phone number and they said you know if you want to participate in this then join us he ended up meeting, you know, these people on on a on a street corner. Got in a van, was was with other contestants. They got gassed. They were knocked out. They ended up going to this island far away, and then they woke up, didn't know where the hell they were, and then suddenly there were like I don't know four hundred of them or so, um, and they all participated in this game, and they ended up going into this this. Um, you may have seen the red light, green light, you know, with this. They went into this essentially like a room. It was like this huge auditorium that had almost like a virtual you know, reality ceiling that was really mostly probably from some kind of projection system. And then this large, like giant-sized doll doing red light, green light. And then the people that were able to cross the line before time expired were able to survive. And those that didn't or those that moved after the red light, they were literally shot dead. Dead By the guns. And I was just like, what in the hell is this? You know, it, it's it was just it was just so depressing. There was no um, there was no uh, hero. There was there was no like strong, positive values, it was just negative. It was death for the sake of death, killing for the sake of killing. And it was people that were in desperate situations that largely, for the most part, many of them had put themselves in that situation. And like, what in the heck is this? Um, but why was it so exciting? I mean, was it the idea that it was, you know, a game show environment or do people like seeing people blown away? I mean, what was the reason? that people were really into it. So I watched the first episode. I was talking with one of my friends and he had watched it and he hated it. And he didn't even make it halfway through the first episode. But I generally kind of like these sort of dystopian shows, you know, science fiction. I generally like it. And for the most part, a lot of them are, are good. But this one was just kind of creepy. But I said, you know what? There's only like nine episodes. You know, I was thinking of The Queen's Gambit, which I loved on Netflix um, and that was, what, like seven episodes. So I figured, you know what? This would be a good opportunity to have a conversation on the podcast and review it. So I powered through it. And um, I mean, look at the characters in this. And they're, For the most part, these people were, I mean, generally speaking, they were like losers. They were thieves. They were people with poor impulse control, people that sponged off others. And sure, there were a few that had very bad luck um, and had been put in difficult spots. But the main guy, his name is Hoon. He was the deadbeat dad, the gambling addict I was talking about. And then he had his friend, a childhood friend, Sang Wu, who was, you know, apparently the brightest kid in the class, went to the best university, went to work in, you know, in a large corporation. But then he ended up embezzling money and getting in fraud and all kinds of um, immoral, unethical business activity. Um, Then there is... Oh what was her name it was Migno, and she was this obnoxious character who was um a manipulated uh person and and a swindler. Then he had another guy, um Dok he was like a bully, a thief, a gang member. he had his own gambling problems. I mean a lot of these characters were just like there are no heroes here. I mean, who are these people um then uh Oh, there was Abdul, um, uh, Abdul Ali, and he was the immigrant from Pakistan and he was the hard luck guy. He was the guy that his, uh, family emigrated to South Korea and he was, he had a child, he had a wife, they were very poor and he was working for a company and the owner of that company stiffed him, you know, didn't pay him. And so he was the victim of, you know, corruption by this small business owner and, uh, but he was the guy that he kind of felt bad for. He was the guy that had a good heart, um, but he had just really put himself in a terrible situation. He was almost too gullible in a way, but he was the guy that I think most people liked. Um, and then there was um, Sai Byok, and, and she was very special character. Um, this is a, a young lady who had escaped from North Korea. Um, her, her younger brother was in an orphanage. Her mother was still trapped in North Korea and couldn't get out. Um, but she was very strong, very savvy. Um, and someone that, that was probably one person I did root for because I just liked her, her integrity and the way she went about you know, handling her business. She wasn't trying to manipulate people. She wasn't crying on their shoulder. She was quiet. She was reserved. And she was just focused on doing what she could to try to win the game. Um, then there was this other character and he, they called him the front man. And we, we didn't later, we, he was always had a mask on. And it wasn't until later on that we got to see him. And this is an actor and his name is, is Lee Byung-hun. And this guy, I'll tell you what, I saw him. He was the lead actor in the uh, Korean TV series, Mr. Sunshine, which by the way, that is an awesome awesome show. If you get a chance to watch Mr. Sunshine, um, it's also South Korean. It's also, they speak in Korean, but it is um, subtitled in English. I think you can overdub it in English, but that's about uh, the Korean revolution from the 1800s to the 1900s. And he was a former slave that had escaped, went to America, uh, was adopted, grew up as an American entered the U.S. military and then came back to Seoul, Korea during the time of the revolution as an American um, uh, military man and diplomat. And it goes through his story, reconnecting with his old hometown, and then, um, you know, a love story with a princess there. And it's a wonderful, wonderful show. But anyways, he's in the show too, which I like, but he was playing one of the bad guys. Um, He was sort of the uh the point man to make this whole operation work the guy that all the you know the rich benefactors were the ones that were funding this guy to to run the whole thing so immediately you think of this okay this is like a game show where people fight to the death right so a lot of people thought it's like hunger games right but it's interesting i recently watched all the hunger games movies again i'd watched the first and the second in the theaters Never saw Mockingjay 1 and 2 in the theaters, but I watched those on bits and pieces on TV. But I really wanted to watch the whole thing. And I rewatched it all again. And and it's a really great show. I mean, in in, in The Hunger Games, there's strong values, right? You have a strong heroine who is sort of the reluctant hero that is fighting um, on behalf of the people who ultimately want freedom and want to overturn this evil regime, I mean, to me, there was there were there were higher values that were being pursued. Whereas in the Squid Game, I mean, people were just getting killed left and right, almost senselessly. Um, so this The Hunger Games was very different. Um, and then, you know, Jennifer Lawrence did a great job as an actress in that movie. And then you got to love Lenny Kravitz, right? I mean, his character in that show was just just wonderful. Um, so a lot of people compared it to The Hunger Games. But to me, Hunger Games had a very positive message. Squid Game was just like so negative, so pessimistic, um, so dark. Um, to me, that was disappointing. But um, you know, then people jump to the conclusion, like, what does this represent? Does this represent, you know, the, is it a allegory of the evils of capitalism? You know, these large corporations destroying people's lives, or is it representative of socialism? Or maybe, you know, some people might think this is the reason people watch this was because there was so much anxiety around personal debt that we feel in America, because there are a lot of people in America that have tremendous student debt. I think I read that, um, have tremendous personal debt, excuse me, but I I think I read that student debt, you know, from funding college, when you add it all up, is the second largest bucket of debt after mortgage debt. Um, So there's a lot of people in America that are really struggling managing their debt load. Um, And then when we go into this volatile economy, you know, really just having the funds to manage their debt and, and, and hope to have the hope, you know, to pay it off. So a lot of people thought that that might have been indirectly why people were gravitating to this. In fact, there was a whole article in the San Diego Union-Tribune about that very thing. Is that why people are watching Squid Game? Because they feel that they are in debt, and then they can feel, they can channel, you know, their emotions through these characters who are in desperate situations and are choosing a life or death game to get themselves out of debt. Interesting thought. Now... I don't know. I I mean, I look at this and to me, you look at this movie and these characters were escaping a terrible situation that they had made for themselves in Seoul, South Korea, as workers, as, you know, as, as, uh, as family men, as, you know, they were trying to make their way through life. They had a ton of problems. A a lot of them self-inflicted wounds right? They were thieves. They were deadbeats. They were leeches. In some cases, there were a few characters that legitimately had bad luck, but in, in some cases were kind of gullible and, and, and allowed themselves to get sucked into it. Um, but they were able to escape all of that to go to some, some would call almost uh, a, a, an interesting sort of, in a weird way, utopia. There's free food, free clothing, free shelter, and everyone's equal. Sounds like almost like, in some ways, you might argue a socialist utopia. But then really what it is, it's a, it's a life or death game, which then kind of breaks the mold of all that. But then they end up having such a horrible time in that, in that environment. They actually voted to escape and went back to their regular pathetic lives and hated it. And then they all came back again. Like about 90% of them came back. So it was something. Um, and these people end up doing these activities, these games that have no real value other than for the entertainment of these evil rich people who are, by the way, are masked or cloaked that you never really see, who, by the way, are these you know immoral, unethical people that are? It makes it really easy to hate them. So it creates this sort of rich guy versus poor guy struggle kind of framing it in those terms but in the end i mean th- th- these 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 game show contestants i guess you could call them they ended up resorting to theft to coercion to manipulation i mean even you know the guy that was the so-called richest kid in school he ended up you know taking advantage of ali the, the gullible one And Ali lost his life as a result of this. So it just led, it just kept getting uglier and more destructive. But the one character that, again, I'll I'll give a big shout out to her. The the character was um, uh, Sae Bak, and she was the one that escaped North Korea. You know, and you could talk about, is this socialism? Is this capitalism? She knew what socialism really was. And she left North Korea um, to find a better life. So, but, but she was just a, a great character to root for. But the whole thing was just fascinating. Um, but in, in the end, I mean, everyone was so-called equal. Everyone got free stuff, but the whole situation just collapsed into itself. Not only because they were fighting to the death, but in order to survive, they had to to coerce and steal and 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 cheat and do whatever they could to survive. So the whole thing was just I just such a pathetic show. Um, It was just kind of, if you're just really into something very dark, then maybe it's your thing. But to me, it was just painful. And then at the very end, the guy that won it all, the guy that, you know, was essentially stealing from his mom, was a deadbeat dad, he won the money. And then he ends up, you know, kind of becoming a recluse, essentially escaping from society, living in the shadows when he could have used that money to help his daughter. He could have used that money to help himself. He could have used that money to help people around them to make a better world in his community. And he walked away from all of it. So, I don't know, what did you think of Squid Game? I mean, to me, it was... These people were not pursuing their happiness. That's why, you know, I told you my shirt, Pursue Happiness... They weren't pursuing their happiness. They were pursuing their self-destruction. Um, so I don't know. Was it, Is it like watching a train wreck? You know, is that why it got so many viewers? I mean, what do you think? I, I was, um, you know, I, I just didn't, I don't see how it matched up with being the most highly rated show on Netflix. I'll tell you what, Queen's Gambit, that was a really good show. Did you watch that one? I enjoyed that one a lot. Um, there is some darkness in that particular one, but- In there, the the main character ends up becoming triumphant at the end um, and is a winner at the end. And that was something to celebrate. It had higher values. She was able to overcome her darkness. But in this squid game, it just kept going deeper and deeper down the hole of ugly. Okay, Um, enough of squid game. We still got a little bit of time left. I want to get into this uh, kind of a few just quick sh- shout outs on uh, Poway News Update. You know, I live here in the city of Poway, the city in the country, so-called city in the country. And, you know, our our city is going through some radical changes, friends. Um, there is lots of development that's happening along Poway Road. They're putting in a um, a new gas line down Pomerado Road. They're you know now going to be redoing a lot of our water infrastructure they're you know burying electric lines up and down a drive they're going to start the farm and poway on the north end of town i mean there's just a, our whole city is going through massive disruption traffic is awful um, along Palmarado road and and at times along Poway road um, and there's a lot of people that are really, really upset about all this. Um, so the latest thing is this water rate situation. And um, and yesterday was a critical day for this. So the, the way this whole story goes is that um, a year or two ago, we had the Poway water crisis where – we had storm water, runoff water mix with our drinking water. Uh, and that had a lot to do with the with the infrastructure problems up at our water treatment center. And as a result, we had to have a boil water ordinance for a couple of weeks. There were, you know, The mayor and the city council were out on the streets, handing out bottled, bottled water. And we couldn't cook with water. We really shouldn't wash our hands with the water. It was just a really bad situation uh, because our city... Failed, you know the the water system failed, and you know we're already paying a lot for water. Depending on where you live in Poway, your water bills can be extensive. I mean, I live; I happen to live on two acres, and we have a lot of avocado trees, and so we spend a lot on water, a lot more than I prefer to spend. Uh, but it's just the nature of our property. Well, as a result of the water crisis, the state came in and said you need to upgrade all this water infrastructure, you know, because it had been essentially the same system since, I don't know, maybe the late 60s or early 70s. And there was concern, you know, there's some people that are saying that, you know, our Poway, our water rates have been going up as a way to avoid a tax increase on property taxes and other things, um, you know, it's sort of been using water rates as an indirect way to raise revenue for the, for the city, to fund a lot of the things that happen in the city. People are upset with that fungibility of the way the money kind of flows between the water district and the city. People are upset about that. And, there, and as a result, there's not enough water to fund the water system. And so now they're talking about a 40% increase in our water rates, it's a lot of money I mean for people like me that s- spend a lot on water that's a ton for other people that live in areas that have far more acreage and a lot more agriculture they're going to be paying a ton of money and the way they're restructuring the rate is it's going to have an increase kind of in the base level um, so it's going to impact you know you know lower income people too so no one likes this. No one likes the water rate increase. And so there has been this big water rate increase protest. And apparently through the law, if the city um, decides to increase water rates, the, there is a, um, an opportunity for the citizens to fight back. And they had to get protest letters written and submitted to the city. And the deadline was yesterday at 12 noon. Uh, it was on November 2nd at 12 noon and they needed i think roughly speaking about 50% of the households to object and if they did then by law they wouldn't be able to implement the rate increase and going into this you know it was it was led by a lot of the uh, our activists here in Poway that were really pushing this um chris cruz was a big part of it and you know, this is like something that's not during an irregular election cycle. So, and it's really not publicized. It's only if you're following people on Facebook, do you really know this thing's going on? Or if you heard from a friend who like an REO Speedwagon song, heard it from a friend who um, you might know about it, but you know, for the most part, people didn't. I, and I remember I saw initial counts, I think like a week before the deadline, they only had a couple hundred protests in. And I I just kind of thought there is just no way in hell they're going to even come close. Well, they ended up getting a little over 1,100 protests recorded, which I think oh, that's more than I thought they would. I thought they'd only get about half of that, maybe five, 600. They am getting 1,100. Apparently, there were hundreds more that weren't counted. Um, in some cases, they weren't counted because you know, like in some of these um, mobile home parks, you think that everyone has an individual water bill, so every one of them would have be able to individually protest. But that's not how it works. I think the each individual um, trailer park maybe only had like two or three rate payers, according to the city, and so they they were strict. They were very limited in being able to protest. That didn't seem fair to me. Um, but at any rate, they um, there were other people that turned it in later. You know, maybe they had wrong information, didn't fill it out right. Or a couple hundred that weren't counted. But in the end, you know, it wasn't enough because they needed to get about 6,500 and they only got 1,100. So they were way, way, way short, although a lot more than I thought. So then the city government just last night, you know, said, okay, we didn't get enough protests. So we're going to implement the rate increase. And it went in and it's going to be increased, you know, to be as much as 40%. I don't know if everyone's going to get that amount of an increase. It may only be for high water usage people. I don't know how it's going to break out. But there's a lot of people are pissed off about this um, because they felt they were burned with the boil water ordinance when our water system essentially collapsed. Um, And now people have to pay. Now, granted, it's kind of like the roads, right? Like if you use it, you should have to pay. So on one level, I'm thinking, okay, we need to upgrade this and it's going to cost money. So yeah, we do need to pay for this. Now, some people think that we shouldn't have to pay because they were questioning how the city was managing us. So I don't know. But what's what's interesting though is, is now the so-called loyal opposition in Poway, um, a group of you know very active folks that are um always you know, <laughs> kind of uh poking the bear, always really after the city council and the mayor, they're now um really shifting their focus to recalling Mayor Steve Voss. And I'll tell you what, this is an interesting discussion because um, Steve Voss was elected to the city council, I think, was it in 2012? And ironically, he was elected because, at least partly because he, he came onto the scene as a result of a recall election. He was the... Ringleader for the recall of Betty Rexford, who was on the city council. I think he ended up running to replace her. He lost, then he won the next election. I think it was in 2012. He ran for mayor in 2014, reelected 2018. In 2020, ran for County Board of Supervisors, lost by the thinnest of margins. I mean, just insane, like less than one-tenth of one percent, maybe even less than one-one hundredth of one percent. Um, And his term now, he's going to continue as the mayor. His term will expire at the end of 2022. So he's got roughly a year left. Now, um, the people that are leading the recall, Chris Olps is kind of the main guy behind this. Chris Olps has been a guest on this podcast a couple of times. In fact, I've invited him to come on as a guest to talk about the recall and talk about the issues involved in it. Um, He's leading the charge on this. And I would imagine that just about every one of those 1,100 people that are protesting the water rate increase are probably on board to sign the petition to to remove Voss as mayor. And there may be more because there's like peak level anger. There's people that are upset with the development along Poway Road, people that are upset with um, a whole number of things. So the water rate increase, the boil water increase, all of the aggressive development. In fact, if you go on the website for the Recall Voss campaign. You go to recallvoss.com. Recall, and then Voss is V-A-U-S. Um, on, right on there, the headline photo is a picture of the outpost on Poway Road, which is that project that was the big hole in the ground that was flooding from the groundwater, and the people behind it ended up going bankrupt, and that project is stalled. And that's like their marquee photo. Um, but there are people are upset about that. People upset that the notion of Poway being a city in the country is now lost. Again, I I would suggest that that idea was lost in the 1980s or maybe even the early 1990s when there was so much housing put into Poway. But still, people still, there's, the, there's a lot of that history of the city in the country. And for the most part, a lot of that's gone. And now with all this construction everywhere you look in Poway, people are like, okay, now it's out the window. So there's people that are upset about that. And then apparently, and again, I, I don't, I'm I not going to go into the details. If Chris joins me on the podcast, I'll let him present it. But there's a lot of questions about the illegality of a lot of campaign finances and some of the fundraisers that Steve Voss does and whether or not they're legal or are they legit. And And I, I'm not going to go into it here. Um, it's complicated and I, I don't really know all the facts. But There's a lot of people that are really upset about this. I mean, even to the point where they're now accusing some of Voss's financial records had fake signatures on them. Um, But, you know, is he going to be recalled? And if he is recalled, it would come, you know, they have to get enough signatures. I think they have to get about 6,500. They got to get them done in the next couple of months. And if they're able to get enough signatures, then it would be on the ballot when we have our June primary in 2022. So let's just say that in June 2022, he is removed from office. Well, he would only have like five months left in his term. So there's a lot of people that are upset about this. Oh, it's a big waste of money. And that's what you always always hear, whether it's an impeachment or or a recall of the mayor, the governor, the president, those that defend the person in office will always complain about the cost of the effort to remove the politician. But if they do it at the time of the regular state primaries that we vote on, then there really is very little incremental cost. I mean, there's some cost, but not as much as you'd think. Now, again, I, I love recall elections. I love impeachments. I love that whole idea because it, it gives us an opportunity to remove people from office that we believe should be removed It keeps politicians on their toes that they don't have to just win the next election, but they know they can be recalled at any time. Now, should Voss be recalled? I haven't made up my mind on that one. I need to learn more on it. Um, There are some legitimate criticisms of of him, I would agree. There are some criticisms of him that I think are no big deal, Um, but I'm— reserving judgment on this. I want to learn more. That's why I want Chris Olps to join me on the podcast. Um, but right now, yeah, there's like peak anger in our city. And what's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to find out. W- will Will we find out that the loyal opposition that got 1,100 signatures for the Poway water increase to protest that? Is that kind of the ceiling of the anger in Poway that would sign the petition? Because- I would suggest it's going to be hard to get 6,500 signatures. And then even if they did get 6,500 signatures to get it on the ballot, it's going to be extra hard to actually remove Voss from office because he has so much institutional support in the city. There are so many people that rally behind the mayor. You know, say what you will about the mayor. There's a, he has a ton of support here. And he has played the political game pretty, pretty wisely. Now, granted, he's got weaknesses. He's got you know, some skeletons in the closet. He's got um, an Achilles heel. But will um, the people leading this recall effort get him out? I don't know. So um, I'm hoping Chris um, Olps will join me on this and we'll, we'll talk it over. Um, so that's what's going on in Poway. And uh, what else? We, we covered squid game. We covered um, Sandag and the per mile charge you know, to fund all of this infrastructure. I got to just say a couple of quick things I'll add to this. Um, loving the Padres hire of Bob Melvin as manager. I think it's a great move. Really happy about that. Um, and then uh, – I will say this, though, is that when Melvin is hired and everyone's praising the hire right now, they think he's going to be a terrific manager. But, you know, inevitably, the San Diego sports curse is going to kick in and then something's going to go terribly wrong and the Padres are going to lose. And then that's when you're going to start hearing people saying, ah, A.J. Preller made a terrible decision hiring Bob Melvin. You know, that's coming. Um, But I generally like that hire. I think it's a good move. And then the other interesting news story that I think is worth commenting on is this whole Elon Musk thing with the UN and the fight against global hunger. I don't know if you've seen this, but one of the guys that works for like one of the subcommittees of the UN that fights global hunger, he was making a comment that, hey, we could end world hunger if just these rich guys would just give us some money. And they said it would only take 2% of Elon Musk's, you know, total net worth, 2% of his net worth, and we could solve world hunger. And that's interesting, right? And people saw that and they were like, really, Wait, what's 2%? And, and they figured out it was like $6 billion. And they're thinking, $6 billion could solve world hunger? And it was interesting because the UN hunger program, I think I'd gotten like 8 point something billion the previous year and it wasn't solved. And then, but what Musk did is he called their bluff, and this is great. This is just wonderful. He said, "You know what? I'll give you six billion dollars. I'll go out and sell Tesla stock, and I'll give you six billion dollars if you say it will solve world hunger." Yeah, good on you, Musk. And and he says, "But you've got to make all the accounting rules transparent." and above board so we can see where the money's being spent. Well, now the UN has sort of backed off a little bit. They're saying, well, it wouldn't solve world hunger. It would help solve world hunger. And they kind of talk about the areas where it would help. And no doubt it would help. Now, one of the things I think is worth saying is that if you look at the world today, especially since 1990, poverty worldwide is in steep, steep decline abject poverty has been on a very downward negative slope, largely because there's been so much more, there's been an incremental increase in capitalism in China in Southeast Asia and in India that has helped a lot of people rise out of abject poverty. And as a result, there's a lot of people that are able to have greater access to food. So I think The global hunger problem, while it is a legit problem, is a smaller problem than it was 30 years ago. And now, with all the wealth generated by people like Elon Musk, he's the richest man on the planet. What's his net worth? It's like, I don't know, roughly 300 billion, something like that. You're right. I mean, he could, with a signature of a pen, unleash $6 billion to this program to help solve world hunger. Again, I I don't know if that's going to actually be the solution. It may be a temporary fix um, because in the end, you know, it's that old adage, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day or teach a man a fish and feed him for a lifetime. There has to be some transformation of the way certain societies and cultures around the world, um, the way they go about prospering as a culture and being able to generate their own food to be able to feed. But I, I do love the idea that, A, Elon Musk heard it. Elon Musk stepped up to the plate. Elon Musk essentially called the bluff of the UN. And now the ball is sort of in the court of the UN. It's kind of their move now. And I, to me, this is a very interesting story. Um, so I look forward to kind of covering it. And besides, it's Elon Musk. And you know, I'm a big EV driver fan. And, and so um, you know electric vehicles are a big thing for me. And that's been a huge part of Elon Musk's success. So I'm kind of curious to see where this goes. What do you think? Okay. So uh, we covered a lot, um, a lot going on, you know, um, there's a lot going on in the world and I think it's worth commenting on, worth talking about. And Mike, you're right. We I need to get more guests on this podcast. I should go out and reach out to some more guests and bring them on board. I told you, Ed Franklin, who was on the podcast live stream earlier, he's been doing a great job. I mean, I... If you go and check out his podcast, it's called the Ed Ed Franklin No Limits Podcast. Very good. And of course, Ed is the former chairman of the board of, oh no, the former president of the Poway Chamber of Commerce. Very interesting guy. He was a guest on my podcast. I was a guest on his. And he's got some great guests. A lot of very uplifting content, if that's what you're looking for. I try to blend a lot of things. We talk about politics and culture. We talk about business ultimately about pursuing happiness. I mean, that's really what the whole thing is about, right? That's what the whole game of life is about is pursuing happiness. And I'll just say this again. I got these shirts. I'll show you on the camera. The Pursue Happiness shirts, and these are available uh, for free. Um, I'm not going to solve world hunger, but I'll give away some shirts. So, um, if you'd like to get one of these shirts, email me at john at johnreillyproject.com. I've got, um, you know, some larges and some extra larges. And while supplies last, send me an email. I'll give you a shirt for free and, uh, I'd be happy to, to share my, share the love with y'all. Okay. Um, this is episode number 258 of the John Riley Project. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching and we'll be back at you real soon. See you later. Bye bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor subscribe and then share it with a friend, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information. Please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.